0: Good evening to you, Chris Ridgway, and to everybody across the world listening to this episode of County Live. How are you doing?
1: Good evening. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Do you know what? I'm actually very, very good. Um, <clears throat> because, as you know, ever the professional, uh, I wanted to get a couple of beers in for the podcast tonight, just because it's been a hard day's work and there's been a lot going on. And I thought, yeah, I'll have a couple of beers while we do it. So I. Drove to the shop, socially distanced, bought a beer. They had Slade, um, uh, Slade on the radio, which is always um, Mama We're All Crazy Now, which is always a oh, favorite Oh, so it wasn't
0: Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs>
1: no, no. <laughs> but uh, I went into the shop, um, put my cider for the lads to be drunk out of a jar with ice, copperberg, mm-hmm. passion fruit on the counter. Other other ciders are available. Copperberg? And, um, what are you, 14 down the park? No, well, actually, that, I didn't buy that from the shop. I got the Aldi stuff, but uh, I had one of those left in the fridge, <laughs> so I had that first. But, uh, yeah, I got ID'd. I got asked for identification when buying an alcoholic beverage for the first time uh, in probably 10 years. So I'm good. I mean, I'm great. I've got Slade in my head, and I have and I feel like I'm 21.
0: Well, as if, I'm good. as if anyone's going to believe you got ID'd, we'll move on from that very quickly. I'm... <laughs> Because of the hipster I am, I'm drinking a uh, a pep. It's a it's called Pepper Spray, and it's a black pepper IPA from Mickela, Um and it's really really good. So I can recommend it. Um,
1: Do you drink coffee in three separate little cups?
0: <laughs> Given half a chance, yeah. <laughs> if there's three, if there's three cups that are clean, yeah. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about alcoholic beverages, however much we deserve them. We're here to talk about another county legend. And this is, you could say in many ways, this is the one they've all been waiting for. The one they've all been waiting for because we're talking about a man who's really good at talking, really good at making people laugh, oh. was a great footballer. has got so many stories. You probably you probably had to end the, re- the recording and there's still a lot left to say, I'd imagine. We're talking I mean, about the great yeah. Peter Ward.
1: They're, they're, uh, yeah, I mean, we did have to quit it short You'll hear that. Um, it was kind of overrunning and there was stuff going on, um, certainly around my end of the microphone. Um, but I texted him afterwards and he said he could have gone on for another hour. Um, Peter Ward is is one of my favourite players um, in my whole time watching Stockport County. Um, he had everything that I think a player should have, uh, certainly in a midfield position. He could tackle, he could get back, he had a hell of a pass on him. And I mean, when you look at some of the goals he scored, um, those free kicks are just unforgettable. Um, the fact that he's then come back years later in an assistant manager capacity to one of the most successful teams we've, uh, we've ever had—you could you could argue a case that it was the most successful team we've ever had because of the the nine the, the nine victories in a row with clean sheets, because of the level of football that those players went to play. You know Premier League players uh, in that squad. You could argue that it's it's possibly the most talented Stockport County team of all time. He was the assistant manager to, of course, uh, Sir Jim Gannon, and um, the stories that he has, the ups and the downs. He, I mean, listen, he talks about the the unbelievable highs, the relief that, that flooded his veins and Jim Gannon's veins when they won at Wembley after four straight defeats. Uh, down in the capital but he also speaks about the ultimate lows when you're on the bus home from an away game and you get a phone call to be told you've gone into administration and then you get another phone call saying you, you're out of a job and you can hear just how much it hurts him to speak about that um and i i mentioned it in the interview i almost felt bad kind of pressing that issue but uh, you know this is what we're here for this is what this is what we're here to do um Everyone who's spoken to Wardy in the past, you, you know as well as I do, Martin, the guy can make you... He'll have you in stitches whenever he wants. He's, he's a master of, of reliving humorous moments and reliving unforgettable times. Um, so to have one of my favourite ever Stockport County people on the show... And there's, there was a lot of... Not a lot, but there was some negativity around Wardy when he took the manager's role here at County. You've got to remember... There were so many issues going on off the pitch that were dragging the club, dragging the club, literally kicking and screaming into oblivion. And okay, let, let's let's be real about it. It didn't really work out for him as manager. Uh, but there was a bit of negativity going around from the fans at that time. But I think it speaks absolute volumes that whenever he comes back now, every single fan will welcome him with open arms, and that doesn't happen. In every club or with every manager, do you know what I mean? When when a manager leaves after a few bad results, usually, I mean that's what they're remembered for, regardless of what they've done previously. But but not so much the case with with Wardy, a terrific ambassador for the club and one that I just I was amazed to speak to, just a great guy.
0: Talking of putting things down, yeah, that drink we're on we're on a Zoom call. And uh, I've been... (laughs) You've been away with yourself and how wonderful Peter Ward is and all completely justified, obviously. But I've been signaling to you to put your drink down because of the noise your ice is making. So if... (laughs) So the uh, it's it's not too invasive, but uh, it will come across in the podcast. That's Chris's ice, because not only is he the kind of man who drinks Copperberg cider, he also puts ice in it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, your, your chat with...
1: It's been a, it's been a hard day.
0: <laughs> your chat with Peter Ward sounds absolutely amazing. And as I said, you know, it probably could have been two hours, three hours, and not only is he funny and a great talker, um, as you say, he really feels it, and, and I'm sure that really really came across as you as you said from the highs and the lows.
1: Yeah. Um he's he's a guy that just oozes class, if I'm honest. Um when you speak to him. Um the the way that he just lives and breathes sport, uh football in particular, um uh, the way he speaks about Stockport County. We've we've been getting this theme. I don't know if you've picked up on it from from the from the other legends that we've had when we had Matty Mainworm in last week and, and Sean Connolly and, and Tony Dinning, they, they speak about coming home to county. And, uh, you know, there they, these are players that have come from far and wide. They're not Stockport boys, not all of them. are Stockport lads and, you know, Wardy, another example from Newcastle. But he speaks about whenever he comes to Stockport, he feels like he's coming home. He knows all the staff, he knows all the fans. They all know him. There's always someone... Who's willing to, you know, come and sit over, sit with him, have a drink with him, um, talk about the good old days, talk about where we are now, you know, and everything in between. It just, for me, it just makes him such a class act. And 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 I would argue the point. He's he's one of he's one of if not the best central midfielders I've I've seen us have, period, Th- throughout my whole time watching County from from nineteen ninety one up until present day. I'm struggling to think, and I know that there's going to be other names out there. Chris really, Marsden, okay.
0: really, they're the best. Better than, a, you know, we were talking a few weeks ago, and you were talking about Chris Marsden in the same way. Would you say, really, he's better than Marsden? Would you pick him over Marsden? You've got a team sheet in front of you. You can pick anybody that's ever played for KFC. There is,
1: there is a case. There is a case to be made. Mars was a, an unbelievable player. Please, sir, I don't make want it to sound like a.
0: Make the case. I don't
1: want. I don't want to sound like I'm taking anything away from him, but when you look at some of the absolute rockets that, um, that Peter Ward used to ping in from free kicks, and the, the 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 engine that he had on him, getting up and down, and then if we're going to take it further and say as an all-round ambassador for the club, to to be then assistant manager and live through all that, to to just be there as a player, all those trips to Wembley and what you know, part of that Kevin Francis era. Um, I'm going to make the case. Uh, it's a difficult one for me to make, but I'm going to stand by. I'm going to stick my neck out of and I'm going to say, I'm going to say, in my opinion, I think he's the best central midfielder we've had since I've, um, since I've been watching Stockport County.
0: Well, you can get in touch live SCFC if you want. I, we are on Twitter. So get in touch on Twitter if you think um, Chris is a, a raving lunatic if you would uh, disagree with him slightly or if you think uh, Chris has got a, a case to make then get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you um, but let's play the, the interview with with Wardy and we'll pick up after that
1: well very good afternoon welcome to Stockport County Life. delighted to say joining me on the phone today is Stockport County legend I don't say that term lightly Peter Ward Peter very good afternoon Good afternoon to you. I, to be here. I've just been saying off air, um, we owe you a bit of an apology. This has been pushed back a, a couple of weeks now. I've been itching to get you on, but for one reason or another, things just keep cropping up. But here we are, and uh, we're delighted to have you on board. Do you, do you take kindly to the term Stockport County legend? Does that does that sink in?
2: Well, I don't know. I don't think I'm a, a legend. I think there's a, a few more le- legends than me down the line, like you know, but uh Enjoyed my time at You know, I love the club as much as uh, the fans like. You know, it's just, it, it was a special time for me when I was at the club, and I don't think to see myself as a legend. I just really enjoyed
1: my time there. Well, uh, I think there will be many that do see you as a legend. So I'm going to continue with the title, uh, if you don't mind. Before we before we start going into uh, into football specifics, uh, due to, to quarantine and lockdown, I'm doing this interview this evening from my son's bedroom. I hope you're somewhere nice and cosy, comfortable.
2: Yes, I'm in
1: the <laughs> Coming from work. Uh, yeah, it is all it is all crazy. How you how you finding uh, locked out and quarantine and everything else?
2: Yeah, well, at first I, I was enjoying it, you know, but as it's dragged on and dragged on, I, I'm starting to feel it a bit now. I'm starting to miss me sport, missing me football, missing me cricket, you know. So it is dragging on a bit now, and there's only so much gardening you can do.
1: Mm, tell me about it. My grass is looking exquisite at the moment.
2: Uh, <laughs> you say
1: you're missing your cricket and your football. What what do you do at the moment to keep active? Or uh, in a usual circumstance, Are you still able to get out for a kick around?
2: No, no, not at all. I Can barely walk. With the state of my knees, but uh, no, I, I like to go out and watch cricket, like local cricket. Anyway, you know, I go up to shore, I go up to saddleworth, watch a couple of games. You know, from the side, enjoy a nice drink on the side when, when it's sunny. Uh, that's
1: amazing
2: in the summer. A lot of the time, I I work quite a bit during the weekend, so I don't see as much football as I'd like to, you know, during the season.
1: Yeah, no, it's um, it's a bit of a crazy one. We do see you at County from time to time. Last time we bumped into each other, Peter, it was at, at Wrexham, wasn't it? it? It feels crazy saying this. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology. It was earlier this season or, or do we call it last season? No, I don't know. But it was up there, at Wrexham, and I guess... If there's, if there's any other club out there who are going to try and um, contest who's the biggest Peter Ward legend club, I, I guess it's Wrexham. You, you've got a strong following there.
2: Well, I, I was well liked there and I enjoyed my time there. You know, it was, it was a really good time and I always get invited back. I don't know why. I do a, I do <laughs> a few questions and answers and they keep asking us back. So every time I get a free dinner, I keep going back. But I like to get back every now and again say hello to a few old friends who are still there. A lot of the all fans still remember, us, so you know. And Jeremy times in it makes us uh, makes us feel like uh, appreciated every now and again.
1: Well, I, I won't ask you to say uh, on uh, which club you prefer. I don't think that'd be very fair on Wrexham. So we'll move forward into uh, into the Stoppard.
2: Well, everybody knows that. <laughs> uh,
1: we'll, we'll move forward uh, into the Stopport. County realm now. Uh, if if anybody ha- couldn't tell already from from the accent and the part of the world that you're from, in recent weeks we've had uh, Tony Dinning on the show who also he's got that Newcastle heritage, Newcastle history and it's almost like County have got a bit of a relationship with the North East, particularly around that era. But uh, if you would, just before we start talking about your history with County, what happened with your career in football before then? How did it, how did it come about? Well,
2: what happened when I was a kid growing up, I was on trials at a lot of football clubs. I went down to Watford, I was at Blackburn and at the age of 16 I didn't, I didn't get taken on as an apprentice anyway so I went to work as an electrician. You know, I was studying to be an electrician and after a couple of years I was doing well at non-league and rating level and uh, I moved into the first team at Street Town and I, I started getting recognised and people were coming to watches, and I got invited down to uh, a couple of clubs for trials and then out of the blue, I got invited down to Newcastle when I was there, uh, 19, nearly 20, and I spent six months there as a non-contract player.
1: And how was that? I mean, that I mean it must have been an, an unbelievable. If you could cash your mind back uh, to those days when you when you get that call or the letter or however it came through that the Newcastle United uh, are inviting you down, that's got to be something.
2: Well, it was at the time. I was a Summer fan at the time, so, you know, it was mixed emotions at the minute, but then it, once I got into training, mixed with people like Peter Bairdley, uh, Chrissy Waddle, Glenn Roeder, the manager was Jack Charlton, and then there was an up-and-coming young upstart called Paul Gascoigne, so it was an enjoyable time, and it was a real eye-opener for me, and really that, that, I really wanted to be a professional footballer from then, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's quite, quite. It's uh, just now, just hearing back those names, especially when you say uh, a young up and comer like Paul Gascon to to see what he went on to achieve. Your first big break, if you like, after Newcastle, the, the first team that that you kind of put yourself on the map with, if you like, was Huddersfield.
2: Yeah, well, I got released from Newcastle at the end of the end of the season, and uh, I drifted back into non-league, and it was just out of the blue. I was playing a, a non-league friendly away. Farsley Celtic, and I uh, had a, a really good game on the day, and uh, after the match, this bloke came up, was, tapped us on the shoulder, and said, are you Peter Castle? Newcastle? And I said, yeah. He says, well, I'm from Huddersfield Town, and we've been trying to contact you, but nobody had your number. <laughs> Could you give us your number, and we'll get in touch with you? So I gave him your number, and it was about a couple of weeks later, that it just ran us out of the blue, and invited us down for a trial, and went down on the trial, scored two on my me first, me first game, and invited down for a couple of weeks, so I had a couple of weeks off work, and then the offer came for us to uh, sign professional terms, and I, I jumped at the chance.
1: Just try and speak if you can. If you can, can relive those days, if you like, when you, you realise that this is happening, there is a professional contract on the table there in front of you. This is the opportunity that, I mean the top 1% get to get to play league football you know it's the top 1% of the 1% that, that move on into the Premier League but to, to get to play league football that is an elite level of football and you're getting a professional contract put down in front of you just how, what goes through your mind there because the electrician work I'm guessing at the time you think backseat I want to play football
2: yeah all, all the time I, um, I mean I used to train as soon as I finished work I used to go training and you know weekends I'd play Saturday I played Sunday and all I wanted to do was just play football. And although the electrical it was going to be a trade and it was going to be a decent job, I just once it came along and Huddersfield said they wanted to sign this, I just couldn't believe it. And I just I went down. I wasn't. I didn't even care how much money it was. I just wanted to sign, it. and I signed it. And it was at the old Leeds Road ground. And all I remember is just walking in the changing room on the first day, and it, it, I was just. I nearly broke down in tears. You know, it was just something that you've always wanted to do. and I was I was elated like I was just couldn't wait for it to happen like you know and it took us a while to settle in but after 3 or 4 weeks I managed to break into the first team squad start training with them and then uh, yeah, made maybe debuted at home against Birmingham City, I think it was
1: wow it's um it, it really it's Every story of a, of a player making that breakthrough uh, I find remarkable. You know, there's no fireworks, there's no explosions and, and big storylines, if you like, but just the fact that a player has managed to make that step after kind of doing it I, th- I think is incredible. You fast forward a few years, um, you've obviously got some experience under your belt at Huddersfield, you've then moved on to Rochdale. Uh, it's around that time that I don't know if this is the right word to say, but a bit of a revolution is happening at Stockport County. The guy that I've referred to several times in recent weeks is almost seen as the godfather of county. Danny Begara's working a bit of magic uh, over in SK three, uh, and you're you're on his phone numbers. You're you're on his. He's got your number because he wants to get you in.
2: Yeah, he was. It was. Danny was a, was an ex manager of Rochdale. So, but he wasn't when I was there. I'd, I'd joined Huddersfield after he'd gone into Stockport, and obviously, yeah you with the, the team to beat, they, 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 were, they were sweeping everybody aside, they were having big results at home and all that, yeah, and uh, it was just out of the blue, I, I was sat at home and I got a phone call off Watchdale and said, um, you've got to get ready, you've got to go to uh, Stockport and meet Dana Begara, we're going to sit think, yeah. Wow. There was nothing, I didn't even, there was no England about it, there was no rumours, I mean, there was nothing in the papers and i just got to... I just got a phone call and ma- the manager picked us up he was Dave at the time got in the car and he drove us over the Stockport. and he said uh, look uh, before you go in there he said you've got to sign he says because we need the transfer money you pay the wages over <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So- set
2: him under no pressure I think that the, the deal was agreed anyway before I'd gone there that it was uh, something like 30, seven and a half grand plus a, a player called uh, Payne Yeah. So, it was it was one of them. Once I, once I got down and met Danny and you know met a few people at the club and it was an was brain old brainer Like you
1: know. Well, what was that? What was that like for you when you were sitting at home? Where where was your headspace then? Because if if you're thinking everything's good at Watchdale, I mean, what did you know of County? Did you did? I mean, it sounds a daft question to ask now, but at the time, did did you want to move? Did Did Stockport County interest you, or were things going all right where you were? Well,
2: actually, there was nothing happening because there wasn't much wasn't much in the papers at, at the time, so I was I was I'd been home. I was at the north, being gone back at the northeast to visit me uh, family and that, and that's when I got the call. So I had to get down to Rushdale as quick as I could, and then jump in the car with, with Dave Sutton and travel over to, uh, over to Stockport to sign it. I mean, there was there was no rumours that there were interest or anything. You know, it just came out of the blue. Yeah, am pleased it did.
1: <laughs> uh, now, I guess the age-old question, the, the, the question that you've probably been asked uh, more than any other, what was it like when you first met Danny? When I mean, we've heard, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I never met Danny in person. Um, following County for years, walked past him on a few occasions and everything else, but certainly never in this capacity where we can speak to people. So I never got to know Danny, although I've heard hundreds of different tales and stories and, and recollections and everything else from from all the way from his son to his colleagues who work with him and players and former managers and everything else. When you first met him, Danny Begara sitting there, I want you at County, however that conversation went, just just describe it.
2: Well, what happened is, I was at home at the time and went to the call from Rochdale and two months later the phone went again and it was Danny Bagara. And I'd never spoken to Danny before and I didn't even know he was uh, Uruguayan at the time, so it was a good conversation, Jordy. And he <laughs> just said, oh, I, "I just, I've, I've been watching you. I want you to come down and sing." So I got in the car and uh, came down and watched the you old. Know, met Dave Sutton. He picked us up, drove up to see Danny, and I came up to the old entrance. Of the county and knocked on the door, and uh, the little window opened, and I think was Andrew at the time. I said, uh, "Hi, I'm Peter Warren. I'm here to meet Danny Begara." Oh, she just, she buzzed the door and I just went through, to the whole reception. And I was, I was looking under the pitch. I could see the, the pitch from where I was standing. So they said, oh, just wait there. We'll give Danny a shout. So I stood there and I was looking at the pitch. I thought, oh, I'll just have a walk out. When I walked out, there was a man lying on top of, on top of the dugout. And he had an air rifle in his hand. And I looked and I thought, oh, it must be the ground. And he was a, fire and shooting pigeons on the side of it. <laughs> and, and I stood there uh, and he turned around and I said, hello. And he, he went, oh, and he jumped down and it was Danny a <laughs> I thought it was Danny, Danny Baga. he was shooting pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no. that, was, that was, that was it. jumped down, got his air rifle, gave it back to the groundsman and then uh, went down into his office and had a good long chat and what he wanted to do and how he wanted to build a, build a team and that. And, he thought he had a, a good structure in the team, but he just wanted to keep adding a bit of quality to to it. And he said he'd, he'd like the left foot, he liked like the way I played, so he wanted us to sign. So,
1: I mean, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression, do you? What, uh, what, what, what? Could you even comp- could you even speak about football seriously when you've just seen him taking out pigeons with an air rifle?
2: I just thought, oh, but he, he must be mad. <laughs> <laughs> But apparently that's the way he was anyway. And in the years after that, when I got to know him, I knew what he was like. So, uh, not, nothing used to surprise me with Danny. But uh, it was a strange first meeting to come I was meeting, and I thought it was the groundsman. He was shooting the pigeons that were eating the grass seed, and it was it was the manager. So it, it broke the ice anyway. So home on the train,
1: just just a bit. But I, I want to speak to you about that that management structure because in in recent weeks we've had. Um, numerous players that you will have played with over the years. Mickey Flynn's been on and Tony Dinning's been on, Sean Connolly's been on. And and they've been saying, okay, Danny was a great manager. Um, Dave Jones was was a really pivotal part in that management structure. But John Sainty as well was was also really key um, as a technical advisor, if you like, or really tactical. When you look back at, at that management structure, was that everything you want to be part of as a player?
2: Well, it was at the time because I, I think I joined it round about the same time as Dave Jones, and Dave Jones had come in as youth youth team coach. And uh, I hadn't met John certainly before, but I got got to know John really well. I and mean, he was he was quiet. He just went around his business. He, he had a good eye for a player. He used to go out scouting a lot, and uh, I went out with him a couple of times. He invited us out. So when arriving, sometimes we wouldn't even finish the ball, up, and he said, "Come on, we're we'll leaving." I said, "What well, Marry says, I don't like the way it warms up, so I <laughs> have to walk off. Never even got to see the match, you know." He, he was like that, John, but he was one of them. He just he did a lot of work behind the scenes like people don't see. Preparation, you know, you know make sure everybody's all right in the hotel rooms, and make sure they've got the right food and everything. He, he was very good at that, John. And uh, although Danny did a lot of the the coaching and a lot of the tactics, there, John was very good at making the lads feel like settled and making sure everything was all right, the hotels were good, the rooms were good, and uh, that's that we all well looked after when we travelled away, you know. So he, he did a really good job, and uh, as I said, he was one of sometimes and he would fly off the handle, and yeah. John was always there to, just to calm things down and put put things back in perspective, you know.
1: Now, when, when certainly as fans, when we look back at, at this era, um, like I'm sure future fans will do about the current era, uh, you look back in, you see the pictures of the players smiling, and all the the players that are in these pictures, like yourself, like Flinney, Tony, Denning, Alan Armstrong, Kevin Francis. All of these players, you, you kind of get this picture of what it must have been like off the scenes, and uh, you know what what the players were like between one another, and the the banter that must have happened between them, and the relationships. And I've spoken to you before about stuff like this, and and I know that you really you really loved that time.
2: It was, a, it was one of the great times. It was... We were like a, like a big family. We were really good pals on and off the pitch, you know. We, we had respect for each other. We, we knew we, we didn't think we were the, the greatest team in the world, but we knew that we, we were good. We could we, we battle. We, we were strong. We had a big curve, you know, had a good, strong defence. We had some real characters in the team, you know, like Flinney, Kev Francis, Chris Beaumont, Dave Frayne. Uh, Bill Williams, they we're all characters on and off the pitch, you know. So we had a really strong squad, and the Mickey taking that used to go on was unbelievable. You know, we meant to the day, It was just a laugh. I used to I used to love getting up in the morning, and just getting into work, just so I get in early, just
1: so we could have a good laugh. <laughs> who, who, who were the players that you kind of bounced off the most, and and do you have any tales just off the cuff that you can you can recollect? Oh, they're no. <laughs> a bit
2: rude. Uh, I don't can, I say too many, but. No, oh,
1: you're all right, you're all right. Just, just minus the swear Would you'll be fine.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> There was a couple of occasions when I came out of the changing room and getting ready, ready to go home. And when I come outside, there was a skip outside and Chris Bowman and Dave were in. And uh, there was Sean, Sean was having to an skip, And I'm saying, what are you doing in the skip? He said, oh, we saw with the... Barney's car, so it was Darren Knowles, because he, he used to have a uh, XR2, and it was absolutely falling to bits, so the three of them decided to climb inside the skip and sit there and wait for Barney coming out. He you're in your car. just mad things like that. mad things like the went you know. We went, away on, we went away on a pre-season trip once to the Alaman, and it was somebody's birthday, so everybody just decided to get dressed up. <laughs> Everybody had to go out and get a fancy dress. We just decided to get dressed up and we went out and bought a pair of Fidel Castro slippers everything with a cigar. <laughs> had inflatables on, had a Hawaiian shirts on and used to walk around Ramsey. Like, the locals used to love us, you know. They used to look forward to us coming back every year.
1: Was it, was it that kind of relationship and that kind of bond that kind of sparked success and competitiveness on the pitch? Because you can have the best players in the world but if you don't if you don't have that, then you don't have a team.
2: No, we had a good team spirit. I mean, it, it was one of them. If we all went out, we went out together, you know, we, we we would go out, you know, for curries and, you know, and for drinks. We'd wait for a reserve game on a Wednesday. And we, when everybody had finished playing on Wednesday, we'd all, even the reserve players, we'd get them all together. We'd go out for a curry and we'd have a few pints and take the mickey out of each other. And, you know, it, it was was I think the best thing about it was the team spirit at the time. You know, we had some Kev, Kev was a, you know, he was a goal machine at the time, but he he was big physical, but everybody everybody like respected each other and everybody really thought the world of each other do anything for each other. So I think the yeah. team spirit was, was really good at the time. It
1: uh, sounds it sounds unbelievable. Now I've got one thing I've got to ask you because we spoke about this at the Legends Night uh, uh, last year or the year before and um one thing that really struck me about tactics now, in this day and age, there's so many different tactics and there's overlapping wing-backs and there's all these different um, rules and is it 4-4-2, 4-2-3, 1-4-5, whatever. Danny Begara had a tactic of a halfy-halfy. Can you just... <laughs> what is a halfy-halfy? I've never heard of a halfy-halfy before, you told me.
2: I, think, I don't think anybody else has heard of a halfy-halfy. We trained all week and we practised... Uh, Three five two 5 2 playing away at Redden, 3-5-2, and everybody thought, oh, that's the team for Saturday. So we get down to Redden on the Saturday, get in the change room, and it's quarter to two, and Danny says, right, this is the team for the day, and it was totally different to the team that had practice all week. And he said, we're playing four, three and a half, two and a half. Jim, you're halfy-halfy, but we've got the ball you're up front, and when we haven't got the ball, you're at the back.
1: <laughs> so he, he's relying on his engine there, and a halfy-halfy, I mean, what a way, an hour, an hour and a little bit before kickoff to start explaining the whole new tactic to do a, a game like Reading. It,
2: it was, it, was, it, it, it was just came out the blue, we thought we were playing 3-5-2, when we got there, we were playing 4-3-1, 2 Jim, half. you're halfy-halfy, but the lads just just laughed, we just got on with it, like we, we knew what to do, we, we knew how to play anyway, so... Uh, Jim just slotted in alongside midfield with me and me and Franny and we'll push Cripp for on for a little bit with Preachie and and Big gap you know, so it, was, it wasn't a bad front three, it wasn't a bad middle three, you know, so I think we, we ended up winning the game 2-1, I think, if I'm right, but uh, yeah, it was it's it just one of them things, Danny used to just drop things on you like that, but, you know, you think you're playing and all of a sudden you're not and you've been practising all week and I I mean, I felt sorry at the time because Dave Miller thought he was playing sweet, (laughs) and (laughs) when (laughs) he (laughs) go down there, he wasn't even in this team, he wasn't even in this sport. That's just the way it was at times. Sometimes he he must have just thrown something up in his sleeve or something and then just turn up with it, you know. But We just know how to adapt. We knew each other's game inside out, so we knew how to adapt anyway, you know. Yeah. Jim was, Jim was a, that flexible. He could play up front. He could play wide. He could play full back. He played centre-half, sweeper, midfield, holding midfield. You know, Jim was one of them that, that could play anywhere, anywhere. You know, so people like him in your team, you, you knew that you weren't going to be far short anyway.
1: Well, let's move on to, to Jim Gallen then because he's, he's a guy that you've had a, a, a playing experience and a relationship with and then again in management. And um, uh, Jim has now been being dubbed, if that's the right term, and I can't say I disagree with it too much, uh, as County's most successful ever manager. You, you look at the managers that we've had in in that kind of period of Danny Begara, then Dave Jones and Gary Megson, and then you come forward to Jim Gannon, and you've worked with him as both a player and a manager. Now, I'm going to start just by saying you talk about Danny Begara and what a character he was. Jim Gannon is a character that will be remembered forever in Stockport County for, for centuries to come, but... I get the impression he was a very different style of manager than Danny Bergara.
2: He is. He's very. Of course, he's very different, Jim. I mean, Jim's one of one of them. He, he's like meticulous in his preparation. And leaves no stone unturned. He, he studies everything. Every team. He, he works things out. He gives he gives people so much information. You know, sometimes I used to say that you give them too much information. Jim, you might even <laughs> scare them. You know, but. He, he didn't, he's meticulous and he used to sit at home for hours watching videos, cutting it and editing it himself. He Used to give the large presentation on on Fridays, you know. Because at the time we we were struggling. I mean, he's done this with no finances over the years, you know, putting teams, build teams, the teams that he's built. You know, I mean, just keeping them in the league the first first time we were there. It was it was unbelievable, like, you know, what an achievement that was. But that was down to his hard work. He, I mean. He works I think he would work twenty four seven. In fact, I know he do he works twenty four seven, that's the way he is. He's so dedicated. But you know, you just want to, to give people so that they don't you don't feel like uh, that that he's letting letting them down in any way. He just gives them information and you know, guides them and he, he was great for the young players.
1: And how how did how did it come about that that, that you were his assistant? I mean it obviously worked out to be very fruitful, and we're very thankful that it happened. But Jim's played with a lot of players. Uh, how, how come he? How come Peter Ward? Did you two just have that good a relationship?
2: Well, we were good friends as players. You know, we had a lot of respect for each other as one of them. Yeah, uh, we used to go out for meals together with family, his, his uh, girlfriend and daughter, and that. And we used to we used to mix quite a bit after games and that. And I was I was one of the ones that used to room with them because everybody said nobody would room with me nobody wanted to room with Jim. so we got left to go. <laughs> so we, it was alright because I was a good team maker I think that was the thing in the end I could, I could make a good cup of tea and he like a cup of tea in bed
1: <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: but we got on really well as players and at the time Jim had gone back to Ireland and I was coaching at the Centre, centre of Excellence when, when uh, Jim applied for the job and we uh, used to speak quite regularly and I told him I said like you know the some good kids at the centre of excellence, they probably need three or four years, and they're ready to go on the first team. And he trusted us on that, you know. And uh, when he got the job, he just gives a ring. and said, Thanks for coming in as a new assistant. I said, Of course I would. So I stepped up from the under 15s to become Jim's
1: assistant, and uh, we didn't look back. And you look at those that, those players, I mean, I, I don't, I, I remember being, being laughed at or whatever with, with friends who were. You know, United fans, City fans, whatever. When I said these these players are Premiership quality, that we've got, some of them are international quality. Uh, Did it surprise you when you see the likes of Anthony Pilkington uh, uh, and and the like going on to play Ashley Williams, going on to play at the very top level, and to going on to achieve in just what they did?
2: Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, we we had to get in quickly. When we got into the club, we had to get in quickly and sort out who we rated and which kids. we thought we were going to get through, who we were going to come through, like, you know, how we're going to fast track them through the team. And Jim was designing programs for them, how to fit this, you know, the way they played and the formations we were going to play, just below, so they were ready to come into the team. And we, he was look, he had a plan to fast track them through. At the time, we were just worried about the first team staying in the league. But then it was players like Ashley Williams, and he said, I really rate this kid. He said, they want to get rid of him, they want to sell him to... Through Tamworth, and he said, I'm not letting him go, and then Jim, so I can build a team around him, he's got pace. he reads the game quite well, and Jim really believed in him, and then in training, he sort of like designed the training sessions around Ash, you know, to give him the confidence to, you know, to, to make him look like, a, we used to call him the gladiator, Yeah. The, the way his presence on the pitch and all that, and that, that was all through Jim's like hard working to take on the training field because Jim, being a centre half as well, knew when he had it. He, he designed sessions for Ash, and Ash came on it and, and he he accelerated. You know, like, he, he was brilliant the way he, he went from looking like he was going out of the club to Tamworth to actually becoming captain and then moving on to Swansea and become captain of Wales. Yeah, and he was such a, a down to earth kid as well. Like, you know, just wanted to learn. Not was like all of them, Pilking did. I remember we went to watch Pilken, did we? We invited him in the main team and uh, our youth team at the time, including Tommy Moore, Paul Turnbull, and them were very good. We were beaten all the other teams in the league, and we played the college team, and was playing for the college team, and we, we beat them in 9-0, <laughs> <laughs> I was on the other side and was so upset because he, he thought he did not shine, but we said, no, I don't worry about that. We went yeah. back in, and uh, through Alan Lord. Alan Lord was pushing it all the time saying, I think the kid's got something, so invited him into training, and after a couple of weeks, Jim said, "Like, I really like him, and we should
1: sign him." Was that was that the management dream team? Jim, Gannon, Peter Ward, Alan Lord.
2: Well, we got on really well. We complimented each other, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we did. That's uh, Jim, particularly is great at planning, like you know, in all no great areas, in black and white with Jim, and he's like, he, he's really straight down the line, like no messing about, like you know. And he's not one of these managers in football, like. Friends with everybody, or wants to be friends with everybody. He gets people respect, and that you know, and he expects respect back. Like, but he, he is—he's he, one of the hardest working managers I've ever worked with. And uh, Alan's just one, and he, he just loves his football. Yeah, too active loves watching kids, likes kids progress, and he loves to give kids like you know, like to see them move on and do well. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he has great eyes for him I don't know how he used to bring him up and say, I've seen will have to come and watch him. And, and me and him would shoot off and watch him. And we say, Jim, you will have to come and watch him. And in the end, Jim just said, oh, I trust you, lads. He said, just bring him in. Bring him in on
1: trial. So, how, to how did the culture of players change from when you were a player to when you were working with these guys? Because I, I look at people my age and slightly older, slightly younger, they will look back and they will see Peter Ward, Mike Flinn, Jim Gannon, the player, uh, Sean Connolly, Chris Miles, and others—they will see those players as legends. There will be a younger generation than, than myself who will look back, and they will—the first connection they had with county players, with the players you've just mentioned—and there, they are their legends. Pilkington is is their county legend. Liam Dickinson is their county legend. How were they? How were Pilkington, Dickinson, Tommy Rowe? How were they different from? You know, um, Peter Ward, Kevin Francis, Andy Priest. How were they different? Uh,
2: they, were, they were different. We were different in the way we tracked the players from Danny. Well, well you know, Jim, Jim was very fair with the kids, and I realised we had a budget. It was very cool. We had, we had to, like the kids would come in, they were playing for the and every opportunity got to make the, the kids' contracts better. He would make them better, and it was it was a good thing of the in because. Sometimes you would go to a tribunal if you were selling a player, and if you were paying them, paying you wouldn't get a good fee for them. So, Jim's philosophy was that the kid's doing well, deserves more money. He's playing, he's keeping a player out of the team, and he deserves the same sort of money. So, yeah. Jim used to reward them quite quickly, you know? and know. Uh, there was times when people like and Tommy Rowe, Dickinson, had three or four contracts in one season, you know. Yeah. Just, we're doing that well that uh, Jim was in and we wanted to
1: reward you know. When you look when you look back at that time, let's let's look back at, at that season, um, and in particular that that playoff run, starting with Wickham, um so much I mean, there's it's just two games of football. If you look at it from a blunt point of view, it's just two games of football. But when you hear things like Paul Lambert's comments before the game, and then you hear about well, then you see Stephen Gleeson's absolute wonder goal, and then you see the tension of the second game that was building with so much riding on it, uh, and Liam Dickinson pulling away and that run that seemed to take for forever to, to for him to get from the halfway line uh, to the goal mouth and to, to to put the ball into the back of the net. And then, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, a certain set of pants being pulled down, and then the the, the Wembley final itself that was a game that I mean I feel. Now, when I look back on it, County won it fairly quickly. They were always the better team. You felt comfortable, but in the time, obviously Rochdale scored, so you you weren't sitting comfortably the whole game. What 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 was what was it like? What 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 was your head state, if you like, in in those two weeks or whatever it was that the, the playoffs went on? Oh, do me? I,
2: I, I mean, I, I think I, I, I enjoyed it better as a player than what I did as, as a manager. Until we got the end results. The two end results were different. As a player, we never won at Wembley, but as a manager in a coach, you and Jim, we actually we won last like that. year, and that, that, was, that was the main difference. But I, I was thinking, right, like, the build up to, to the, the Wickham game, and it's my favourite goal when I was back in county as assistant manager Stephen Gleason's goal and the reaction of the fans. It's, it's my favourite goal. It was one of the best strikes I've kid was a great player, like, like you know. I Jim brought him in and Wayne Hennessy from Wolves, like, you know, and the little kids were doing much money, and Gleason turned up, and we thought, damn it, where's your satchel? And the school's on the corner, mate. Like, <laughs> fresh biscuit. Then you put him on the pitch, and he got the ball down, and he was feeding people and passing, passing here, passing there. He was he, he, great boy. We love Stephen Gleason. He was, like, in that goal at, at uh, Wickham. Oh, it was absolutely phenomenal. And every time now on YouTube, I've got to spare a couple of minutes. I always put that goal on. Things by great memories, but we never took much notice of what Paul, Paul was saying in the press. You know, we weren't really bothered. All we were doing was just focusing on the lives. like you know. We had a very young team, and we just had to make sure that they were right, like you know that, that we were careful and our preparation that like, we didn't work too hard because we experienced that as players. We we were pushed and worked too hard and by the time we got to the playoffs we were tired, like mentally tired and physically tired. And we had, we tried to do the, uh, something different with the lads and like, you know, take the pressure off them and mm. we never used to take much notice of a poor Lambert anyway, you know. I mean don't get wrong, he's a good manager and he's doing some really good things, but we do want to get into the mind games, you know, like uh argumenting with press or anything like that. So we just concentrated on the lads and we just focused on what we had to do, how we were going to beat them what the lads' jobs were, their roles and responsibilities on the day, you know, and the lads came up trumps in the end, and, of course, the Gleason goal was absolutely fantastic, but Liam Dickinson, he, another one, he, he was one of them. You play him up front with somebody else, and it was a waste of time, but play him on his own, and he, he'd look after the back four on his own. Yeah. He'd close the right back down, he close centre-half down, the keeper, then he'd run after the left back, and then he'd find energy to go, go and get you a goal, you know, so at the time, dicker was a great player for us, and... I'd i go he You just knew when he was running through; they weren't going to catch him because them, although it looked slow, them big long legs and big stride, he was going away from them. And he he was cool at the time, and he had so much confidence at the time. And just once he broke away, I thought he's in here. And when he flipped in at the corner, but I must have missed the last twenty minutes. Road, <laughs> unbelievable, you know. Yeah. I, I just can't. I, I can't remember what I was thinking at the time. I was just just trying to keep get the lads to stay cup try and keep all the ball because I think we were losing all the possession and when the final whistle went it was unbelievable it was one of the best games ever you know that we're going back to Wembley we had a chance of going up and you know it was great for the kids that worked so hard they, you know every, every bit of information Jim and myself and Alan had given them they took on board and they, they'd become better players than we thought they were ever going to be you know they were looking really good you know
1: Allow me to be a allow me to be a little bit naughty for a moment. Did it did it taste sweeter the victory because of what Paul Lambert had said?
2: No, it didn't. It didn't. As I said, we weren't really taking any notice of Yeah, it was it was for the fans to go back, give us a chance to go back to Wembley and actually win. You know, because we'd been there, we'd been there four times and we'd lost. You know, so we wanted to go back. As yeah. players, wanted to go back as the management team that was that had won at Wembley. You know, that that was our what we wanted to do, me and Jim, you
1: know. And, uh... Was that was that a special, I mean, obviously it was a special victory, but for you two, because because you'd been there as players, you know, it, you weren't just another manager at another club, you had this history and everything else. When you had a glass of wine afterwards, when it was all calmed down, did it make that, that chink of the glasses a little bit more special because you'd played there as players on so many occasions and not quite got over the line?
2: Yeah, it, it did as well, but we, it was so pleasing for the fans, you know, we, we were thrilled for the fans, and we, we were thrilled for the lads as well, like, you know, because, you know, some of them had come through the through the uh, youth ranks, and, you know, they'd come out of the under eighteen and come, to our know, first team squad. like, you know, and they'd grown, like, you know, they'd become yeah. men, like, you know, like, in a matter of a season and a half, like, you know, and we was just so pleased with them, and everybody, for the fans, it, it, it was it a was brilliant the emotion afterwards, and, you know, I was... I think I was in tears, and and I just, I I was just enjoying the change room. Gicko was on form, proud Proudlock was on form, and it, it, the music was bouncing. And it was just a, what a brilliant afternoon it was.
1: Yeah, do you think you'll ever venture back into management? Would you take that call if it came?
2: Well, I, I've been out. I think I've been out too long now to come back. You know, but of course, there's always something inside you that wants to be involved in football. You know, it's. Uh, it was part of my life for a long, very long, long time, like, you know, and to say that I don't miss it is an understatement. I miss it Yeah. I just miss it. I love getting up in the morning going down to the training ground and getting a cup of tea ready for gym and a couple of slices of toast and then start talking and, you know, we'd be still there at 8 the o'clock at night. <laughs> I'd probably been <laughs> on the chip shop and, <laughs> and You know, we'd still be talking and, and, and I'd say, Jim, right, I've got to go home. And then the next day I say, right, I've got to leave today because I've got to go to a match, so I'd shoot after a match. I'd watch a match at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and from there I'd see if there's another match in and I'd go and match at 7 o'clock and, and I'd ring them up on the way back and speak on the phone and I'd say, I've seen a good player like him and i said, we've got to try and get him on loan or i said, I've seen another good player. So, you know, we just used to talk all the time. You know, I'd, I'd be travelling from somewhere watching games and Jimmy would be doing preparation for the Saturdays game and then... You know, we talk just for hours on the phone like you know me travelling I'd never had a chance to listen to the radio I'd have to you know, we'd be talking all the time it was always about football about improving the team and how we're going to improve the squad and how we're going to make the, the club like self-sufficient and all that you know just to make things easier but uh, we nearly got there just the administration came along and it just sort of tore the life out of the club you know that, that's one of the worst experiences of my life that you had going through that day. Going through that was like, um, I was seeing that the team that was, we, we were just that close to going into the championship. And I, I think if the season, if we'd completed the season with that team, I think we might have been in the class and gone into the championship. for some of the kids that were ready, they were ready to step up, they would outgrown our club, so we needed to be, go on to the next level to keep them, you know? Yeah. And they, they, they were, it was, they just, that when we're coming back and the coaching was fine, we administration and wow, all doing that.
1: Where? When you think back, I mean, I, I almost don't want to cut you off. I can hear, and I think every single person listening will be able to hear just what it means to you personally. But when uh, I almost feel bad asking you, but as a, as a fan, I, I'm engrossed when you when that message comes through, um, and it's and it's not good news, and we don't know what the future holds anymore. And you've got this busload of people who are all immensely talented in their own departments. And that's all going up for sale. It's all going to the wall. Whatever you wanna whatever analogy you wanna put it, what what happens then? What what conversations go on?
2: We just we, we just sat down and both him being his normal self, we just said, Right, we've got we need to plan and care how we're gonna how we're gonna work through this and who we're gonna we're gonna sell. You've got to remember that we'd already sold that Ash Williams, would you know, we'd already sold uh dick eight hundred grand, you know. So Jim had been keeping his end of the bargain like, you know, and the lads had outgrown and had moved on with getting good prices for them. Yeah. You know, even 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 Pilkington, you know. I mean there was clubs chasing Pilkington and, and Jim just said, hey, kept turning them down. He knew what price he wanted for in the end he got the price from Huntsfield and I remember Pilkington coming back and sitting in the office and crying and said, I don't want to go and Jim said you Andy, you've got to go, go and speak to them. Phone your agent, go and speak to them, and then come back. And then we saw him a few weeks later, and he shook our hands and he said, thanks, it's the best thing I've ever done. Like, well, so he'd moved on to bigger and better things, like, you know, our yeah. wasn't growing quick enough for him, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: At that time, the administration, oh, it, was, it, was, it was probably the worst period in my football career, That you know, going through that. One minute in a job, and then we were... Uh, I mean, I think I was watching, I was watching a game over in Leeds and I got a phone call from the administrator telling me that had been sacked, so... Yeah. Jesus. But but the thing was, the administrators, I don't know who was advising them because they made a decision in getting rid of probably the best manager the club's had. Yeah. They are probably the only manager that could have guided them through and and, and saved them the money that they wanted to save because nobody knows how much money they took in to the transfers and how much money they actually spent, you know? Yeah. So... It, that was the most frustrating time the, the team was had, we thought, close to the championship and, you know and then for somebody to take it away over a silly death like it, 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 it was just heartbreaking
1: well just finally then, because I'm, I'm aware we've kept you well over the, the the, time we agreed just just very finally when you see where the club are now when they've come through all that are the good times on the horizon
2: well with Jim at the helm I always think there is you know, if, if somebody backs them and somebody just believes in him, like you know. He, he, he never asks for Lord you know, to you him. He's one of them. He, he knows what his budget is. He knows how to work his budget you know, like, and all that. you'll build a team. It might take him a couple of years, but you'll build a team. And but to me, it looks like they're on the front foot now. And I'm hearing lots of positive things from people that, that I've talked to that are around the club or yeah the club. And you know, I'm, I'm feeling excited myself. I just want the season to start again. Uh, uh, I can't wait for the day that Jim walks them out and they're going to go back into the league. You know, that, would be, that would be brilliant. I'd be able to die happy
1: man. <laughs> well, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And I, I, I say that um, with the bottom of my heart, one of my favourite players uh, of Stockport County of all time. Uh, those free kicks were really a thing of beauty. Uh, of course, we'll see you back at County when the doors are reopened. And uh, again, I just want to thank thank you for coming on the show today.
0: No problem. Always a pleasure. So that was Chris talking to Stockport County's best ever midfielder, Peter Ward, and as you said, worth every penny of the no money that you're paying for this podcast.
1: <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, uh, just speaking to Wardy, and I know, I know there's going to be people out there that, that refute, what, you know, he's not the, the best midfielder ever, but you've, you've got to put him up there. And I mean, at the end of the day, with a subjective argument, I think, I loved watching Wardy play. And I think if you asked any of the players that played with him, um, just his character and everything about him, what he brought to the table, aside from on-the-ball um, activity. Just what a, what an absolute guy. And I've got to say, Martin, when when we touched on it before the interview, um, when he spoke, the bit that got me the most, I mean, he remembers the good times, the dressing up in the Isle of Man on a pre-season tour and all that. He remembers all that. And yeah, of course, it's, it's great for him to speak so emotionally and so honestly and remember it so vividly um, about a time where he was <sighs> sacked. Let's, let's, let's have it how it is, you know, where he was, he was made, put out of a job. And it wasn't just any job. It was a job that he absolutely loved and adored and had worked his whole career to get into. And through no fault of his own, in fact, if anything, he's, he's doing well. To have that ripped away from him, I just thought what you have to praise that honesty,
0: so yeah, that's the equivalent of the the hometown boy makes his debut, thinks this is it, and then you know doesn't end up playing for that team ever again or only plays a few games and then gets you know then gets transferred. it's it's the it's the equivalent of that really. Um, so you know you wouldn't you wouldn't wish that on anyone. The good thing about Peter Ward is there's a lot of good stuff on the other side of the scales to balance that up, as you said, you know the wembley win all all the the great times with james with James Gannon. I don't know why I've said James there I've gone back to the old John Kieran days of calling him james Gannon. Yeah. um and and I've had a bit of playing career, so you know the, the scales are in balance there when you talk about that, but as we all know. The hurt, and especially in a game that you love so much, can can hurt a lot.
1: Yeah, Um, but I I asked him in his honest opinion. You know, is this a team now on the up? And I mean, it's it's quite an easy answer, really. When, of course, it's a team on the up. We've we've just been given all the money in the world, and we've got the best manager we've ever had at the helm. uh, With a with a young team that's already in the playoffs. But um, you heard it in his voice, in his spirit, kind of lift up. Um, uh, and the way that he was he was praising Jim is um, you, you can't buy that respect. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 he's got a real admiration for the gaffer there, uh, and that's through years of working with him, playing with him, living with him, um, rooming with him, uh, and everything else. And um, yeah, I just think the two of them uh, are an incredible pair, and it's it's great to have that insight from a, a legend like Wardy.
0: Absolutely unbeatable. I'm, I'm sure. I I always uh, have the pleasure of going back and listening to the interviews after I've put them in. Uh, so I can't. I can't wait to listen to that one. I can't wait to find out who's our interview next week. Neither can I.
1: <laughs> <laughs> have you not, got, uh, not
0: um, got anything lined up?
1: To be confirmed. We have. We have. Um, we have a couple of players who are uh, who are in the queue, and I've just got to work out of time with both of them. Um, so I'm not going to say any names and, and tease um, down the line, but we do have uh, a couple of really good names um, coming down the pipe. Do you know what I was thinking, uh, Martin? Just let, let's move on from, um, from who we're who we're interviewing. I've been watching, and I'm sure you you will have checked it out, or at least at least it will be on your to check out list. I've been watching this um, Chicago Bulls Michael Jordan documentary, which is unbelievable. Uh, it's just a great piece of piece of television. And I, I, I'm i not a basketball fan. I don't think I've ever watched a full game of basketball. But um, I'm just obsessed with seeing this story unfold and the way the storytelling of it is, is incredible. Now, we listen to these players like Sean Connolly, Mike Flynn, Tony Dilling, Peter Ward, and I just think someone should make a Stockport County one of these.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. I think you're 100% right. I, I mean, I'm on episode two, just finished episode two. So, yeah, it is It is unbelievable. One of the, the great things about documentaries these days is that there's a great template, you know, so people know how to make a good sports documentary these days. And, of course, the good thing about something like that story is there's so much footage. You know, you can top and tail it with interviews now. There's so much footage to to, to go at. But, yeah, I'd love to see fly, one of those fly on the walls, so like, follow, follow County for a whole season. And you know what, next season would be a really interesting time to do it. Because, you know, this season would have been a, a great time to do it. But let's take, let's count next season as this season um, with what that what the squad achieved. As Jim always says, our know, bottom four budget, getting into the top six is an amazing achievement. So to have a, a fly on the wall would be amazing.
1: Could you imagine if we'd had one in the bagara days? <laughs> when Mike Flynn was there, when Peter Ward was there, when Kevin Francis and Andy Priest were there, could you imagine how how that would have gone down?
0: That would have been absolutely amazing. I mean, the bleep—the man who does the bleep button would have like <laughs> would have probably broken his finger. But uh, yeah, it would be an absolutely incredible thing to watch. Not a history of, but something around those times from Danny Bagara through to the, the Jim Gannon years would be a, a really fascinating journey.
1: Yeah, no, I'm in agreement who knows maybe one day in the future we'll be able to bring one of those out um are you missing football martin can i ask you are you are you missing the
0: game yeah of course i'm missing football of course i am um it, but it's so it's so conflicting isn't it i mean i'm a liverpool fan so i've got a massive dog in the fight to get to get um you know to get get it back on so, you know a lot of people who don't have a dog in the fight you know therefore their dog becomes anti liverpool anti leeds you know that's that becomes their dog um it it is strange times and you know there are things that are more important than football but um but also you've got to remember that you know football's a massive business you know these this county itself employs 20 30 people premier league clubs employ 500 people so if if that was taken away you know that's there's a serious impact on the on the on the economy of the country so there's so many reasons for it to for it to come back whether you know they should whether you know how it comes back, you know it's it is such a complicated thing. But but yes, of course, we're all missing football. We're all missing it. Did you catch any
1: of the? Um, did you catch any of the Bundesliga?
0: I didn't. I saw all the results and all the chatter, and of course the uh, the the Harland interview, which was hilarious. You know, <laughs> but you know, as as a as a radio interviewer, as we've both been radio interviews, we've also done uh, lots of interviews like that. You know. So that, that was fascinating. That was fascinating and funny to see. Yeah, very. And so we'll just finish the big question. How closer are we to Kevin Francis?
1: Um, uh, Well, um, I'm hoping to book a plane ticket to Canada (laughs) any day now um, to get over and track him down. My my thinking is he's not going to be that hard to find when I get over to Canada. You know, he's, Six foot seven. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna see him sticking out somewhere.
0: Six so foot seven um, with a very uh, thick English accent. So he, yeah, he can't be yeah. that hard. You know, tell, where's the English guy? Oh, he's over there. it will be easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Chris, what's uh, you to Chasing him down.
0: Chris, thanks.
1: Thank you.